0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. tells of a ring created by an ancient evil that gave its wearer the power to enslave the world. Believed lost for centuries, it has now
1: been found. Is it secret?
0: Is it safe? Hello everyone, welcome to the Retrospectives. I am your host, Cale Smith. Joining me this week is David Weiser from Film Assessment.
2: Hey, everybody it's good to be back
0: and then brandon cooley from bad symphony productions hey everyone and brandon since you are the host of the show what are we talking about today
1: oh that's the show yeah you know, you're Kale. you're the host of the show but um yeah so we are kale we are talking about lord of the rings fellowship of the rings today um and this is personally one of my favorite movies. I'd say probably my top five of all time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much you guys like it, but for me, it's a classic. Uh, a lot of good memories associated with watching the original trilogy as a kid. Um, and so we're just talking about the first one today. Um, personally, you have to go back to when I first saw this. It's two, fall of 2002. I'm just a young whippersnapper. I don't know good movies. I've seen some.
0: Wait a minute. You didn't see this in fall 2001.
1: I did not because I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on VHS. We, were, My family rented
0: it. Okay, we okay. Watching our
1: small TV. And I, I was blown away by it. I believe the movie could start off so lighthearted and whimsical in the Shire and get to such a dark place in the mines of Moria. And I even that night after Gandalf fell down the cavern from the, the Balrog. And I was like, I want to see the rest of it. But I did not know movies could get that long. That could be three hours. It was like an eye-opening experience, you know. Uh, No fantasy movie or no science fiction fantasy movie at the point was so had so much
2: depth to it, you know, so.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, with that, David,
2: (laughs) go ahead. Um, I grew up with the movies. I don't remember distinctly remember when I first saw them. I just know I was a kid. I didn't see them in theaters. At least I don't think I did. If I did, I maybe saw Two Towers in theaters. And we return to the king. But I'm pretty sure I saw them first on DVD, and then when I was like a teenager, I read the read all the novels. It was around the time when The Hobbit was coming out. Um, I read The Hobbit, and I read all of the Lord of the Rings books, and then I really got into. I I got way way more into it. And I, I've been, I rewatched the movies several times since then. And this was the first time I had sat down and watched the extended edition of Fellowship. Um, I saw them, I saw the original trilogy. They brought them to IMAX last year, uh, last spring, I think, or last winter. Um, I went to, that was the first time I think I had seen them in theaters. And so it was cool to see them in IMAX and see like the restoration. And so, for this, I watched for this podcast. I I watched uh, the extended edition of Fellowship uh, on the 4K, the the new um, remaster. <clears throat> uh,
0: so my personal history with the Lord of the Rings is I remember hearing about it and being really excited, uh, because this came out just right after Harry Potter. Uh, so and my parents were still weird about letting me see more mature content. So, like the most mature thing I probably saw in the theater was maybe The Grinch. Um cuz there so, was witchcraft
1: in it. Is that the the wizardry, the witch the Yeah, of- there were well, those things. Yeah.
0: That, that was the the big scare in the early 2000s was I grew up in
1: a small town like that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, but yeah, so my parents rented the VHS from Blockbuster uh of uh fellowship and we started watching it it's pretty good so far you know um the the good guy Gandalf he's getting his ass kicked by the white wizard you know that was pretty intense um and then we have these ugly looking orcs um yeah so it was it was a very intense movie for me because I just have not been exposed to that kind of like vitriol like violence on screen hmm. really I haven't like this is a year or two away but this is a year or two away from me watching like Terminator or something hmm.
1: um yeah same here actually yeah was yeah <laughs> before yeah maybe a year and a half too
0: yeah um but no i, I just and when we got to the scene where Gandalf fights Bellarog Belar- um in the you shall not pass uh it was like it was so, like, the outcome of that was so traumatizing for not just me, but also my parents. Uh, we literally shut the movie off. Like, we were just like, it was so traumatizing to see, like, Gandalf after getting his ass kicked by and surviving Sar- uh, Saruman, uh, and then getting his, and then basically getting dragged to basically what is hell by this, by Satan. Satan himself, it was just like this was too traumatizing. Um, this is too much, so I didn't get to see the rest of the saga until I was 11 or 12 years old when I finally watched the movies. And this was right after King Kong had come out, and I loved King Kong, so I was like, I okay, I gotta check out Peter Jackson's uh Lord of the Rings movies, I gotta check those out. and instantly fell in love i stayed up like i started like return of the king at like nine o'clock one night during christmas break (laughs) stayed up all the way till like 12 or 1 in the morning and i was just like i'm glued i I have to see how this ends i have to see where this goes and i've loved it And, and and then the first time i saw this in theaters was back in 2019 when my local theater did they just released the extended cuts on um just as a like just as a reissue or just as a repertory thing so i fell in love with the movies again uh and yeah i the return of the king extended edition that was one where i really did have to go to the bathroom a lot Hmm. just because it was so long but i mean it's still like compelling all the way through um i will say real quick
1: i absolutely adore king kong from 2005 i feel like it never gets as appreciation as it should yeah i feel like that's actually at the level of lord of the rings in some ways and it's a very well constructed movie but
0: Uh, well yeah and 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 what's even interesting is and this will kind of go into the history of the production a little bit so back in the mid-90s peter jackson and fran wash their company Uh, window Uh, films and their uh studio they built uh what a digital and what a workshop they just finished heavenly creatures and they wanted to kind of push themselves even further from what they were doing in heavenly creatures so uh jackson works on a movie called the frighteners with robert zemeckis uh with michael j fox they do the whole movie in New Zealand, including shooting it, everything. Michael J. J. Fox hated being that far away from his family, so he kind of almost quit acting (laughs) uh, because of that and the Parkinson's, Um, but that's its own thing. So while The Frighteners is happening, there are three different projects that Jackson can develop or is developing like while Frighteners is kind of you know, in in post-production. He develops a Planet of the Apes movie called The Renaissance of the Apes with James Cameron producing at Fox. And then he's got the Lord of the Rings in his back pocket. And then the third is a King Kong remake. Universal pitches him uh, to do either King Kong or Black, the Creature of the Black Lagoon. And he goes for King Kong because that's his favorite movie of all time the the 1933 movie is his favorite movie so while uh that is in development i mean there's a whole like they developed the script they when a workshop developed creature designs i mean storyboards everything and it was actually going to be more likened to the brandon fraser the mummy movie like it was going to be more indiana jones like because they couldn't, they didn't. Because Universal at this moment, they did not have the rights to the 1933 movie. They had the rights to the novel that King Kong is based off of. So, um, cut to the frighteners. Uh, the frighteners is a big bomb uh, because it's opening on a, the third weekend uh, after Independence Day, which is uh, up in for the 90s, the highest-grossing movie of the 90s until Titanic comes out like the next year. So it loses to Titanic, and then Universal drops King Kong. Weta Workshop is in disarray, because all of this work they've been doing for about five or six months on Kong is now going to waste. And in an immediate rush, uh, Peter Jackson uh, just gets the Lord of the Rings books, and just is like, what if we do this? What if we do all three films? Or at the least, we'll do The Hobbit, And then we'll do the Lord of the Rings uh, adaptation as a two-parter. So already, Jackson is in the mid-90s. He's talking about doing The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but just as its own contained trilogy. Uh, So the problem was MGM owned the rights to Hobbit and uh, United Artists, I think, had the rights to Uh, lord of the rings but lord of the rings had already been sold off to miramax so miramax has it he peter jackson goes to harvey weinstein to pitch his lord of the rings harvey weinstein likes the premise the problem is uh disney had cut so much of their funding for miramax that why harvey weinstein was like you have to either do this Is you the only way that it can be done is if you do it for one movie and we do it for 50 million dollars so uh and Peter Jackson after some bickering <clears throat> it's alleged that uh, Harvey Weinstein was like I'm going to if you don't make this for this amount of money I'm going to send it to Quentin Tarantino and he's going to do it for 30 million dollars so uh, Jackson was like, Well, give me like two weeks. Can we put it in a turnaround and see if anyone else will want to buy it?
1: Tarantino was signed on to do Lord of the Rings for a short time. Or? He wasn't
0: signed on, it was just like, it was more like a threat. Like, he was going to threaten to give it to Tarantino.
1: Could could have Samuel Jackson played the end off a whole nother rendition, I think. <laughs> like in the you shall not pass scene, much differently,
2: <laughs> you shall not pass, motherfucker. Nope,
1: that's what I was thinking.
2: Um, and the path of the righteous man shall be set <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, but yeah, I no, that was
1: Legolas,
2: too. John you know like that
1: <laughs> blonde wig. <laughs> anyway.
0: Oh my god, yes, 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 yes. My and, and Michael Keaton is Aragorn, uh, or Aragorn. <clears throat> so, yeah. no, okay. um but no so um that almost happened and so he takes it to every studio everyone passes on it except for new line and and the reason why peter jackson has like a foot in the new line is because he pitched in the early 90s a nightmare on elm street movie that would be like nightmare on Elm street six the reason it didn't get made was because they wanted to do a final Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and Jackson's script was just another installment. But they liked him enough to, that they all, Bob Shea and some of the other executives kind of kept in touch with Peter Jackson. So Bob Shea, he watches the sizzle reel in, for uh, Lord of the Rings, set, made by Weta Workshop and Weta Digital, and says... And so- and and i should preface they were going in to pitch to do two movies for lord of the rings two movies bob shay was like no we're not doing two movies we're gonna do three movies you're gonna it's it's three books it should be three movies we'll fund all three movies so peter jackson's just like so so we have a three movie deal and, he, and bob shay's like yeah of course uh, so bob Shay buys the rights of lord of the rings and makes a deal with harvey weinstein that's why the the weinstein brothers are in the credits of every lord of the rings movie unfortunately, unfortunately. um <laughs> yeah so but it, that's and that's how the lord of the rings kind of became Fellowship took another year and a half of development. They had to rewrite, because they already had the two scripts, so they brought in Philippa Boyens uh, to rewrite the entire trilogy. They brought in another writer to help on, on set rewrites for um, Two Towers, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but it's mostly just Philippa Boyens and Fran Wash, uh doing a lot of the rewrites while Peter Jackson like spends the next year and a half getting an 18-month post like, production filming production going in New Zealand um some other factoids uh so Air, the original actor who was supposed to play Aragon it was Stuart Townsend do any of y'all know who that is
1: I don't but I know the story behind why Viggo Mortensen was cast though
0: oh I do you want to take it
1: Sure. Yeah. So he was given only 24 hours to decide if he wanted to take the role of Aragorn. Um, they called him up. They need to fly him over to New Zealand really quickly to start preparing. And uh, he wasn't sure about it. He didn't know what Lord of the Rings was. And his son, who was I don't remember the, his, the age of his son, let's say he was 10 or 11 or something like that. And His son says, Dad, you have to take this part like it's Lord of the Rings. You're going to regret this if you don't. So Viggo uh, Mortensen credits his son for convincing him to, uh, to take the role of Aragorn.
0: and it's a great story and and what happened to townsend was that he didn't want to do rehearsals he didn't want to train for sword fighting he didn't want to do horseback riding lessons which i mean all of those things are so important to them uh to aragon's character uh so they got into it uh to two or three days of filming with townsend and they just realized he's not the guy um and Bob Shea tried to warn uh Peter Jackson about it because they were just not because Bob Shea and his crew they were not seeing it either but uh they gave they tried they trusted Jackson to find his way to to, to the character and Townsend just was not you know, I mean giving full effort so they fired Townsend got Viggo Mortensen and the other two actors that were so close to getting it, or in terms of replacing Townsend, were Jason Patrick and Russell Crowe. Those were Russell Crowe passed because he just done Gladiator, and then Jason Patrick wasn't considered enough of a star, so it went to Morgan mortensen
1: Russell uh, Crowe would been expensive. Yeah, oh
0: yeah, oh yeah, especially after Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs>
1: i also know that elijah wood and uh orlando bloom were the youngest on, on out of the fellowship they were i think elijah Wood was 18 orlando
0: 17 bloom, maybe,
1: 17 okay 17 yeah um yeah on the extent the special um features on the extended editions are fantastic for all three movies oh my god yes it looks like so much fun to be in new zealand making these movies like it would have been the best experience and, yeah. i mean
0: who wouldn't want to do a new zealand uh who wouldn't want to go to New Zealand for a vacation over there? Uh, no, it, it's it's fantastic. Like that's what's that's why it was so frustrating when the four K releases didn't have the documentaries. Oh, um, because the, the, those documentaries they are so important. They they are so of their time. Like they, I mean, they covered the production so so extensively yeah uh not just for fellowship but just all three movies um yeah it's fantastic other factoids um ian mckellen kind of had to keep flying back and forth from new zealand to montreal because he was doing x-men at the same time uh so that was a thing and yeah i mean everyone kind of just came into it everyone was just so good um Uh, only John Rhys-Davis didn't do stunt rehearsals because he was just so, his eyeline was so terrible when he had the prosthetics on. So he would just come up to every stunt guy and go, okay, who's hitting me first? And then who, like, who are the people hitting me? Who's going to hit me first? And what, like, row. And then, and that was the direction. Like, I'm just going to hit you. I'm just going to hit you with this. And, And he did. He literally hit his stunt performer's with an axe, I mean a fake axe of course, but like he just kept like that was his like rehearsal was just let me know who's hitting who I'm who I'm hitting just so I can just, you know, do the scene. Um and yeah, I mean he um and then just some other and then that's all I got for now. Um let's actually talk about the movie itself.
1: Yeah, where does uh, fellowship rank for you guys in terms of the trilogy? Um, best one, second best, third best? Do they get worse or do they get better as they go along? Yeah.
0: Uh, uh David, I'll let you take this one.
2: I could I'm in this weird place where I kind of love them all, like about same. the same. Like it's hard for me to pick a favorite, like it's like picking your favorite child kind of thing. Yeah. Um maybe lean towards return of the king. Some days, like, I mean, the Battle of Helm's Deep is like, so amazing that it's like, I love Two Towers, and so it's like, and then Fellowship is such a great start. Like, it, it's it's so hard to pick a favorite. It, it kind of just depends on how I'm feeling.
0: <laughs> just a little bit of a tease. Uh, Two Towers is my favorite, but, uh, it, it, but I'll get uh, into that into the other into Two Towers because I think Two Towers just <clears throat> I, I, it, it it just the what the assignment was for Two Towers it just accomplishes it in spades, uh, especially for a movie that's very post nine eleven. Even though these movies technically were shot before, like the world needed a two where that story goes in Two Towers, the world needed that kind of like you know the world needed that in a way
1: sorry my internet kind of broke out for second. you said two towers your favorite i meant the last it was one. okay so my favorite uh, is actually the fellowship of the ring so we each have a different favorite although i like all three you know oh yeah
0: i love all three I, this is not
1: fellowship <laughs> is a special place in my heart because it was the memory of seeing it and also just it's so different than the other two the other two are kind of more similar than fellowship it has a different feel to it um before I get into like, well, I guess what I find interesting is that um, Peter Jackson was given quite a big budget to make these movies, a lot of creative freedom. But I think it was interesting, he actually gave himself like his own set of limitations in some ways. Because I feel like, you know, he could have put more CGI in, this, in these movies, but he chose not to in some scenes. There are scenes where it's very um, just filmed. They just use the scenery in New Zealand. They just use practical effects. They use costumes for the orcs and the uruk
2: you use know, these
1: use miniatures, I mean, they just, they really know what they're doing in terms of, or they knew what they were doing in terms of the practical effects versus the CGI. Like a, the scene with Gandalf versus um, Saruman. Um, okay. So to be fair, I mean, that scene where he's walking down the steps, Saruman may be the worst shot in terms of visual effects, but you know, immediately something's up. This guy is going to be bad. And the duel they have is not a duel where magic is flying from either side. or it's CGI. It's, it would have looked kind of lame, kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons movie from a year year before the really bad uh, Jeremy. Yeah, movie. yeah. It, they just threw each other around across the room, and that's it's an, almost uncomfortable to watch because you see these old men just getting crashing up against the wall, you know, kind of grunting as they, you know, uh, hurt. And it just, it's lots of, that's a lot more effective than what other directors would choose to do. Um, I think that's what's impressive about Peter Jackson
2: uh, in those three movies, especially Fellowship of the Ring, but. Yeah. And that, that scene that you're mentioning, like there's such like this visceral energy to like the camera work and the choreography and the, even the editing, like it's like kind of choppy in a way where the action flows so smoothly. Like it, it's choppy in the sense that there's a lot of cuts, but it's like so much movement and kind of like jerkiness. Like it's almost like green grass before green grass. Yeah, and like on the, yeah. the born movies. Yeah. A little bit, um, like in in terms of like the the approach, like and like it's just so. And any the, there's a little bit of that approach to the action throughout the, but like. He also balances out with a lot of long um, one takes um, and like a lot of wides wides, and like really, like a lot of like the stunning shots of like the environment, like the the fellowship especially like is very varied in terms of the filmmaking, um, maybe of the whole trilogy, but I mean, they're all, I don't know. that's just kind of like just a point I was going down.
1: <laughs> yeah, cinematography is just amazing in Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, there's so much variety in shots. You have a first-person shot of an arrow uh, that Leg- legless shoots. It goes into an orc's uh, head. You've got a sprawling camera going across, like, at the very end of the forest when they're, like, all running toward the horn being blown. A, sp- a camera just tracking above the treetops, and you can see them running toward it. Um, and i can just name off examples like that um it's just very you don't see that kind of camera work much anymore in movies um Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare to see
0: yeah and it and for and also i mean there's such a variety of care of creatures as well i mean not just like elves or not the sort of way but i mean you see a giant octopus just pop out of nowhere (laughs) you see i mean orcs and grim Bell logs. I mean, you're just like, it's the, the way Jackson develops this world is so, it, incom, it, it's so huge. Like it's massive. Like it, 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 And it has to be because it has to feel, you know, huge and, you know, overbearing because we're watching these, you know, hobbits. We're watching Frodo having to navigate all this. And that's what makes the journey at the end, like his decision to leave the fellowship with Sam, all the more like gives it much more weight when we leave him at the end of fellowship because we know what's out there we know what danger faces frodo and sam uh and and just and the rest of the crew but there that's but it makes the journey much more interesting like everything in fellowship sets up the journey for the next two movies so perfectly it sets up the war between saruman and and rohan it sets up uh, all the conflicts with the elves it sets up all the, the love story between Ar- Arwen and aragon so well and um, and also it, it just like it develops the world so powerfully like there's to the point where I mean even even if you were to threaten Peter Jackson to cut like 15 minutes like I don't know where you would cut like it's so like this even for the three hour the the theatrical cut it's so like well paced. It's so like they go from here to here. We get, you know, um, Frodo, Sam joining and then Merry and Pippin joining. I mean, all the stuff with the ring, you know, Gandalf searching, you know, information about the ring. I mean, it's great stuff, everything, even with, and constantly all the characters are thrown in danger. I mean, even the character Gandalf, I mean, he's basically disarmed, from Sar- the person he trusts so now it makes it, it keeps building to suspense through the picture the whole way through
1: i was gonna ask um so i have a favorite character for each movie each of the three movies uh-huh. um, who is your favorite character who, for you guys what is your favorite character in fellowship if you had to pick one it doesn't have to be the fellowship it can be any character in the whole movie but in terms of the way the writing makes
0: um you know what david take it
1: I have mine if you guys want to think. I
0: don't
2: really have a favorite character. I got to say, like I've, I kind of, I've realized. I kind of dislike the, the whole fellowship. Yeah, I've realized,
1: <laughs> I I love the character of Gandalf. And the reason why um, that character in fiction, the mentor character, that's my least favorite kind of character in most movies. But Gand, I really like Gandalf. He's the only mentor that really wants to work hard and work with the people he's actually mentoring. <laughs> um you know when he figures out something's well. First of all, when he realized that that uh, Bilbo's going down the wrong path, this room, the whole room just turns dark, and he says Bilbo baggins dialogue, but he just yeah he just kind of not, doesn't yell.
0: Oh yeah, well he puts him in his place.
1: Puts him, exactly, yeah. I love that it's like you know that he means business, you know. Um, and when he figure when he he goes to his books when he's trying to research the ring, um and he you know he goes with the fellowship all the way, you know I like what in Star Wars, you know, Obi-Wan, Yoda, I love them but they became hermits when things got tough. You know, Gandalf, he wouldn't do that. He would go straight with the heroes and fight the villain, you know.
0: I mean, but. he sacrifices himself yeah. with the Balrog. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, no, Gandalf is a great character for me. I mean, I don't know, like on this rewatch, I really developed a m- bigger appreciation for Boromir.
1: Yeah, I was that's a close second I mm-hmm. think fellowship
0: yeah like there's just something about Boromir's character where it's like it, especially what we learn later in the other two movies yeah uh with his father and faramir um like in learning like really why he was searching for the rings so much uh or really like what he why he believed he needed the ring so much it just adds so much more weight. Like Bormir is not, is just, just such a tragic character. And Sean Bean plays it so well. And also, he's like one of the only characters that, like, lets go of his stoicism and actually, like, plays with, you know, Marian Pippin. Like, he, like, he kind of just, like, you know, like he's like a cool dude. Like, he's just, you know, hanging out. Like, he's just, while Legolas and Aragon are being stoic and uh, Gimli is just being grouchy um so and he has like and he actually cares about like their empathy like how they're feeling i mean when eric when not eric when gandalf dies and like they're all just in tears i mean he he's the first one to like we have to give them a moment of empathy we have to give them a moment to just like take it in um like so i really give boromir even though he's so known as like the traitor um but no i i think sean bean plays it so so well
2: yeah
0: um so that's- and then
2: also like while he is the traitor he does sort of he in his death he does redeem himself the- in trying to help Merry and pippin he may not have been successful but he i mean he took on a lot of works and
0: <laughs> and he called for help Like, where is, like, where are you walking? Where are y'all at? Um, no, but
1: his own royal family versus this fellowship that he's just met. That's kind of a hard choice. And yeah, he's kind of power hungry a little bit. And that's what why the ring takes over his mind. But he does actually mean well in the end. He's just, he's not strong enough like Aragorn is, you know.
0: And if I may counter to what David says, I mean, he, like, he redeemed himself, but he redeems man because he immediately regrets trying to take the ring from frodo like once Mm -hmm. frodo disappears and and he's out of his eyesight and he walks away and he's looking for frodo he immediately regrets like every decision like he he is the embodiment of the hope for man to rise again and i mean and even more so his guilt makes him confess to aragorn aragorn in his last moments like that's what's so powerful about uh that's what's so powerful about the ending is that he represents the hope the humanity and it and in a way it awakens something in aragorn aragorn it awakens something in the other two characters as well like his empathy his way of um get like, his way of handling things, I mean, it's just so it's so per, it, like, like, his death create, basically adds more to their arcs than any, anything that happens in the other two movies. Like, it, it's the first thing that makes Arag- Aragorn go I maybe can be king. This so,
1: I think there's something that makes, there's a couple things that makes Lord of the Rings timeless in terms of its story and its uh, themes. Um, to get to this it's interesting because i didn't know this until fairly recently um I, i'm not i don't know much about tolkien and his writing i know only a few things about the style they wrote in and like what he focused on in terms of mythology but um he actually really disliked allegories in fiction. and fiction i love that because i don't like allegories either in fiction i feel like i would have gone with tolkien to see avatar and we would have both left theater <laughs> not liking it i'm like cool you yeah. know. Um, but I didn't know that until fairly recently. And he insisted that Lord of the Rings is not inspired by World War One or two. There's no comparisons to that. And now, and when you watch it again, like, oh yeah, there really isn't. There's no trenches. There's no, like in World War One. there's nothing similar to World War II, a Western Eastern Front or anything really obvious like that. So what, the thing that makes it timeless is that J.R.R. Tolkien, um, he really, the Lord of the Rings really values the underdog in terms of that's who is rooting for um, the hobbits are the only ones that can destroy the ring and in the hobbit you know bilbo's the only one who can sneak into the dragon you know all that um, they're critical as a part of the team even though they're the weakest in terms of their fighting ability and it's about the, and a the portion of the story is about them sneaking into mordor right well in helms deep they're the underdogs you know they're being invaded by a much larger army again So I think that's the moral compass Lord of the Rings has. It's not really about um, defeat, good versus evil. It's about the underdog triumphing over a much larger force um, against all odds. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there are a few like if you are really a big World War One like history buff, you can Mm -hmm. pick out certain things. Like I mean, much like how Sam and Frodo like go on their own separate mission. I mean they did in World War 1 like much like what now we know in 1917 they did send people on like different missions to go and sneak across enemy lines or go across you know different sure. border lines to go and send messages to the other um to the other group or whatever so i mean i i you can pick and choose but i mean also you have to understand. Also, Jared Tolkien was a very environmentalist as well. Like he cared about the jungle. He cared. About, I mean, he lo- he grew up in in a town of England or a period of England where his town was lush and beautiful, like the Shire.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and then when he became an adult, it became like ravaged by coal mining and industry, which definitely informs this trilogy as well where industry is the bad guy like they're harvesting yeah, yeah the beautiful forests the old forests for you know for you know for metals and you know to you know for industry for machinery all that kind of stuff yeah so it, it it's so it is like it is the amalgamation, and then there's some stuff from world war ii as well i mean Hitler is basically Zaron, you know.
1: Well, minor things. Zaron I mean, yeah. I guess I think I was meaning more Star Wars having pseudo-Nazis, you know, as the Empire and like having very obvious like call-outs, call shout-outs to those, that kind of iconography, you know. I mean, Lord of the Rings doesn't really have that much like, there is no direct correlation like history in terms of like visual um, visual cues, you know, but I'd have to look at individuals. Maybe there's a few that's in there, but yeah.
0: I mean it's subtle i mean it's very like you can draw a line of how like peter jackson was a huge world war one fan and then he would go and make that um doc that world war one documentary they shall never grow old like you can see like yeah. where yeah like even then he's playing he's playing in the same playground as that documentary true um so but yeah it's it's very interesting and then um in an interesting kind of way uh he he doesn't like english tales like he never felt like england had or england itself had their own mythology like even king arthur is kind of taken from stories of the french
2: yeah.
0: uh, so he wanted to create his own mythology here uh with the lord of the rings england's mythology with the lord of the rings uh so that's why there's a lot of like european settings a lot of english characters a lot of like you know english sensibilities that kind of thing even though it is shot in new zealand um yeah, yeah. but still it's it's the idea it's to Hulking's idealist idealized way of of looking at england and what it could be what you know and also i kind of found it interesting in my research that he kind of viewed the reefs as politicians um uh,
1: ring race you mean
0: Ring, are they ring rings or reefs, reefs. ring ras okay yeah. he kind of developed he kind of felt like they were corrupt politicians uh that didn't see the the boundaries between good and evil anymore
1: yeah I mean the rings are definitely a symbolized power corrupting anybody that has you know even good intentions or who still wants power you know I mean that's kind of what it's about um yeah, I, I mean, do you think that, um, I'm glad they didn't show Sauron speaking or like doing things besides the opening scene. Because I feel like it's better to have that, the eye as being more of a symbol as opposed to, uh, you know, Sauron's are kind of like our villain that's the, you know, the axe. You he's, know, that,
0: yeah, he's uh, basically the, the the main disciple of Sauron.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, that's probably the, the best decision to go with. Because I think the book actually has Sauron doing more things. Like he confronts Golem in one part, which kind of sounds cool, but you know wasn't the good idea for the movie, but um
0: well well and also like what going to that prologue I love like how the story is told of like it basically myth a lot myth what am I saying lot myth it it creates this myth for Sauron like it, it makes him it mythical there it is mythical excuse yeah. me it makes him mythical because i mean even how he shot i mean he shot with low angles but he's still dominating the frame uh he's still like this mythical villain that is taken out because his hand got cut off and um and that's and Mm -hmm. and that's what kills him that's what defeats him and i love like how they they create this myth around him and then the myth around the ring where you know Seavol, uh, I'm sorry I mispronounced it, but that's how I keep hearing it. Seeable, uh, who cuts, who collects the ring, he keeps it, and I love like, how it just it manip- it turns everyone over. Everyone that's ever been in possession, even Bilbo, as good as it, good, good-hearted Bilbo, he, you know, he he still is addicted to the ring. He's still possessed by it. and um yeah it it, it's i love how the ring like even the scene where they're all so they're all at the rivendell right Mm -hmm. and in rivendell where like they're talking about the ring they're building the fellowship the ring where everyone just starts arguing over the fate of the ring like we should take the power no we should destroy it no we should keep it for ourselves like and then Frodo makes the fateful decision of I have to take the ring no one can do this because I'm the only one that's not freaking the fuck out over this ring (laughs) um like it's such a powerful thing and also I mean you just see the way because he because Gandalf doesn't want Frodo to take the journey he views Frodo as a kid and as a young person who has so much to live for but Frodo's right he has to take the ring uh he has to take it and Gandalf's reaction to Frodo's talk I mean it's just I don't know should have won Ian McKellen the Oscar
1: yeah who won that year um oh god don't make me um the Jim Broadbent and something I don't know why I know that Rouge. no no that wasn't it was nominated that year but he didn't
2: wasn't for that
0: um, uh while well, you look david what what else do you have to
2: say um um let's see oh i mean while you were kind of talking about the prologue like i love how it 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 manages to like you you were saying create this myth and like kind of this legend and like the way that the world building and exposition like kind of come together with galadriel's narration to kind of paint a picture of the story behind the ring and kind of everything that's led to what um, what our heroes are facing now and like just in general like the the way that it sets the stage for kind of the general the broad scale conflict that is um gonna befall our heroes and then like kind of bringing it down to like a small scale for like kind of the wholesome hobbits in the shire you got all we got bilbo's having a party and then it's like okay now things are serious like and things kind of as you were saying earlier about how um there's suspense builds over the course of the movie we start in this kind of like wholesome place with the shire and then as they go along their journey the danger kind of escalates like we have the ring race come after them and then um then eventually there's like all of the bi- business and uh the minds of moria um we have someone actually die or well they think Gandalf's dead or whatever um and then they kind of go on and then they're like seized by these elves and then they meet galadriel in the flesh and she kind of goes a little crazy uh, when she's alone with Frodo a little bit
0: right and that's the scene where she where Frodo again Frodo spends the whole movie doesn't want the task like he spends basically the whole movie and then I would say the climax in Frodo's story arc is his conversation with Gladriel because he hands the ring to Gladriel and Gladriel almost takes it but then you know I guess her power makes her spaz
2: out. Yeah, um, she has yeah. a little bit of like kind I'm of, kind of darker. Of that moment. Yeah, it's not
1: my favorite moment in the movie. That's kind of, uh, they went a bit too far in that direction in terms of her uh, wanting the ring that much. Um, yeah. It was a broad bit for Iris, who won Best Sporting Act, which I haven't seen. Um, but a good argument for Ian McClellan winning and Sean Bean being nominated for his performance too, I think. But. Um, one thing, the details in this movie are, you don't notice them at first, and I didn't notice it, but um, I heard Peter Jackson explain that the, the fight with the troll in the Mines of Moria, um, the way he wanted it to go, besides the action being good, do you notice at the very end when Legolas shoots him with the arrow that he makes this moaning noise and music starts playing that's the opposite of like a victorious kind of moment, um, and Peter Jackson wanted everybody to feel um, sorry for the troll because even though he was bad technically fighting the heroes he was chained technically with by the orcs um and so there's almost like a king kong kind of element to that where it's like you know he's the beast and he wasn't in the situation he didn't want to be in these caves in this cavern you know uh in these mines and so there's small details like that something i, I started noticing um upon further viewings you know but
2: yeah. i never read the scene that way but now that you say it i i see it like immediately that was a like, yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's
1: true. I felt it was different. Yeah, it was uh, not the typical kind of you know battle scene. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it. it I don't. Now I gotta rewatch that scene again.
1: noise is very noticeable. It's like I, I was when I first saw him. Like that's interesting. Yeah, but, um, yeah.
0: I mean, it is quiet. Like it's very quiet after that scene. But I now, now I need to rewatch it to n- understand that context even more. Also.
1: The line that I love—I don't remember when it happens—but um, the, the explanation for why the Balrog is, is that the Dwarves, who are all dead at that point, they dug too deep. They were too greedy. So even yeah. though, even though they didn't have their own ring, or I think maybe they had a ring at some point, but even the miners were too greedy and they dug too deep and they uncovered a Balrog. I like that. That's the explanation for why one's there. Like that's neat. But,
0: and it's such a sad scene because Gimli is so excited to meet like mm-hmm. his brethren and family and i mean when you get to the like the grave the 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 marble slab like gravery or grave the grave there it's so it's so i mean it's so heartbreaking you know but it's another scene where it's just like greed takes over everything like and again like even without the power of the ring it still like controls everything it controls the worst of us and it's so sad for Gimli. I mean, the cry is awful. Yeah. Um of course you kind of already get the picture that something happened because there's no one there. There's no one there to open the door for Gimli. There's no no nothing. Uh, you know, so you know, it it is a very sad moment. And then they have to like navigate like very quickly, like, go through like what's supposed to be like five days of passage, go through it in one night like mm-hmm. run <laughs> to get to the other side and so it, it's really fun also the music in that whole sequence is incredible where they're just constantly running but the shots are just like you just see them getting constantly engulfed and tr- chased by trolls and you're just like seeing like gandalf with a light just like running 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 it's so incredible yeah. um and they even for then-
1: playing music that's like um like what's the right term uh when they're trying to skip steps it's like um music you'd hear and like a uh, tribal like um drums beating and like chanting, almost like finding nemo that scene where they're in the fish yeah that's what <laughs> yeah. there's no i don't know what it's even called uh but it's like that's a big change i love it it's like that really gets you in the mood to like get out of that mind especially can but yeah
0: absolutely and, yeah, Gandalf dies. It's really, like, it's really sad because it's, and what's even sadder is when First they time do come-
1: didn't know he comes back. First time for us seeing it, it was sad.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, it still hits when you yeah. rewatch it because it all, it's Howard Shore's score. It's... And
2: then Frodo's reaction really sells it. Like, Elijah Wood just, like, sells that reaction so much when he's like, Gandalf! <laughs> yeah yeah
0: and then when we like the he's like so he's the last like reaction shot we get in that scene when they're up on top of the mountain by the way beautiful shot um and he's the last person i mean frodo in that face i mean he literally has lost everything like he's he can't go back to the shire he's dragged his gardener best friend you know to basically hell um and his cousins to hell and and his supposed like good uncle like he has to destroy this ring for the sake of his good uncle so he can finally be rid of the addiction, the addiction of the ring um and then yeah i mean so i mean just the weight of the ring finally just like caves in on frodo of how much this journey now means because now he has to destroy he either has to get rid of it, or fi- actually destroy the ring, so Gandalf n- doesn't Gandalf doesn't die in vain. Yeah, it's in power. Yeah.
1: One big omission from Fellowship of the Ring. I, this is intentional. Um, I think it's a gra- it was a good idea. Is there's not much of Golem in it. Um, you see mm-hmm. glimpses of him, and the glimpses we see of him are very effective because those of us who don't know Tolkien that well, we weren't sure exactly who was you know um, he seemed that the, we only see him being tortured in the beginning a very brief scene and um when he's in captured by the enemy we see him looking through he's we see him peering through um like a, a small structure in the mines of moria um and just and there may be one other moment but it's very brief and i think that's a very it was a very good idea not to include the uh Andy Serkis's, um, any, any bit of his performance, um, in the first movie. That way it just, it, he just comes right into towers immediately and just takes over the show. I think that was a good idea.
2: And there's this kind of like air of mystery around him because he's very like secluded in the shadows. Like his face is very, um uh, I don't know. It's very it's like covered
0: in black you can ba- in shadow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can barely make out his face. Like you can just kind of make out his eyes and like a little bit of like kind of the end of the smile. Um, and so you, you, you know, there's this like kind of malevolent prevalent presence kind of trailing them and you're kind of like, it kind of gets your mind thinking like, huh, I wonder what's, I mean, I had, I was familiar with the character at the point when I saw this, um, like, even for the first time, like, I kind of already knew, like, since I saw them after they were released in theaters, I kind of knew what Schmegel call them, kind of, I had an idea of who that person was. But, like, it it kind of, it's a nice kind of prelude to um, Two Towers, as you were saying.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since mm-hmm. the previous CGI character we all knew was Jar Jar Binks, none of us were ready for how great Andy Sergis was going to be, or how real that would feel, like, the CGI mm-hmm. and the the way they filmed his scenes. But, yeah.
0: God, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait for that. I can't wait to talk about that because it's so it's so incredible what Andy Circus pulls off and the way they set him up here is, again, another mystical thing. Like, he's cursed. He's the guy that has lived with the ring the longest out of everyone. Like, he's lived for 500 years while his brain has been split into two by the ring personality and his own personality so uh, good stuff um good stuff good stuff um is there any other so what else can we talk about uh with this movie
1: let's see well i mean we can just start having some fun did you guys ever play the two towers video game on playstation 2 or xbox uh back when the-
0: no i don't have a PlayStation. now
1: it's yeah it's funny because they actually even though it's called the two towers they actually did all the fellowship missions just it's just aragorn telling somebody about it because they just they didn't make a fellowship of the ring game and they were like yeah. we gotta have these missions in here we gotta go to the mines of moria and so it's just aragorn saying and then we went to the mines and then we went to the forest and it's kind of funny um kind of the way the writing is back then with video games but yeah I have I uh I got um the four glasses from Burger King at Burger King did a uh special um goblets for Lord of the Rings it was Gandalf uh uh Frodo and Aragorn I don't remember the fourth one was um maybe Liv Tyler's character the elf but um yeah so yeah I got all four uh Burger King goblets somewhere in, in storage but yeah they didn't do a very many toys though for Lord of the Rings. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a, um, a merchandising kind of scheme, like, or not scheme, but like there wasn't a merchandising push like Star Wars or Harry Potter. I'm guessing that they, had, they knew the audience was different for it. They had, you know, there were Tolkien fans, but they weren't, kids would like it too, but they were more trying to just get a wide audience. Uh, so
0: Well, I mean, I think everyone was trying to cut... Because, I mean, again, they spent nearly $300 million making these movies. Yeah. So for New Line to push a toy line or a merchandise line for the first movie, I think they were just like, let's just see what happens. And then we'll really... And then if it goes great, we will go um, full head in into... um, merchandising for the two sequels which they did they they eventually did um and yeah i and yeah speaking of arwen i really do love her character even though she barely has anything to do in this trilogy other than just to be in love and then also be in quick cuts of a nice video music video um (laughs) that's about to break out
1: um the top five build in the cast and if she was paid that much money more than all oh, that's a i i wouldn't yeah it's, it's kind of weird but um i get that though because she was an armageddon before that and she was more a well-known name in some yeah. way
0: yeah uh, yeah and i mean but i mean she is good with what she's given yeah like it's just i mean like that's the sad part is like she gets this really badass moment where she gets to pick up frodo take him to um oh gosh what's the elf land um rivendell rivendell yes rivendell excuse me yes they're all starting to run together um and i got two more of these <laughs> um but no so she's trying to take in the rivendell also that chasing with the uh ring wraiths is incredible but just that shot of like where the camera's cutting into her and we get closer to her while she's you know riding the horse and then they're in the woods the ring racer like chasing behind her all that stuff is incredible and we get this incredible scene where she summons like a water god and like the power of her elvish kingdom and takes out the ring race it's incredible um and even more like she gets this moment of empathy where she almost loses frodo so I have to ask you guys, because you guys are probably more fans of Tolkien, is in this moment when she's praying to her to the Elvish gods, is she giving her mortality to Frodo, or is that just like a weird scene? Or is she just like praying to get Frodo to safety?
1: To be honest, the two times I've tried to read Fellowship of the Ring, I can't get past <laughs> Tom Bombadil. He always stops me from finishing the book um it yeah it's whole, I mean I, I'm not a big fan of reading fiction really much anyway I only read non-fiction but uh, Tolkien's writing style isn't really my cup of tea um I respect the guy totally because it's amazing story and characters but um it's yeah I'm not sure about that scene in particular I've only I know certain scenes that, that um from the movie that I know how Tolkien
2: wrote certain ones but not that one though
0: no. okay david do you have an opinion on
2: that it's been like 10 years since i read the book oh. uh since i read fellowship but uh so so you're saying that the prayer to give him her mortality or what what
0: like what's happening so, in that scene like how because frodo basically is just like limping like he's going limp you know yeah. like if she like, what is she doing to prevent the poison from spreading even further? Other than, I guess, Frodo is just, like, in in between consciousness of state, or states of consciousness. Like, what is happening in that scene? Like, how I'm is Frodo alive figure. in the next scene?
1: I would say the elves, while not being the strongest part of Lord of the Rings as a whole, they serve a very good purpose, and that purpose is them saying that we are out of here. You know, we don't want to be a part of this alliance between men and elves. We don't like this anymore. You guys, the men have messed up. You know, they, they're uh, they're more stoic. They're more wise. They they live longer, and they don't. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the strongest character in terms of the elves would be um the one who helps them and helps.
0: Yeah,
1: comes deep. You know, that he's the most human. I think in terms of the uh, his uh, character arc, um, but. Oh actually Hugo Weaving is I didn't think about him. Yeah, the two of them are the strongest. <laughs> Hugo Weaving is definitely the most, the best, uh, uh one of the better performances among the elves.
0: Not Legolas or uh Orlando Bloom.
1: <laughs> I like Orlando Bloom, but you know, he's never the strongest part of a movie. Parts of the Caribbean, great movie, not the strongest part. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is weird about Orlando Bloom breaking out here is that he is a cool character, but he's kind of got like the Bubba Fett effect. Yeah, <laughs> where it's just like he does cool shit. That's it. Yeah. yeah, like there's no emotional arc or depth. He's just cool and stoic and really handsome. Uh, so that's that's all there is to Legolas in this adaptation. Um, so and Gandalf
1: is learning how to become comic relief, or not. Uh, did I say Gandalf. I say Gimli. Uh, did I say who did I say? Yeah, yeah. Gimli. Gimli, yeah. Gamli is learning how to be comic relief. Uh point where in the third one he's just spouting out jokes left and right. Yeah. Do y'all hear that? Do y'all hear that? Uh, uh, it's
0: this it's weird nagging. It's weird nagging that's happening in my ear. Do y'all hear it at all? No, I mean I don't Oh no. It's the re- weird... it's it's angry fanboys. They're complaining again. They, oh God, they they have been blowing us up on Avatar because we fucking remembered it and we remembered people's names from it. And uh so they uh, Or,
1: what, or what's, what's going on?
2: It's the
0: angry fan. It's the angry fanboys. They're they're. God, they're just, like, they're blowing us up again in the... They're now angry that we remember Lord of the Rings. It's like, they're angry we remember good stuff in
2: the
1: 2000s. Oh, I love the 2000s.
2: Yeah.
1: See, there's all this 80s nostalgia, and I feel... I don't like the 80s. I I get to... I feel like at a certain point, I get to prop up my own decade, you know, childhood. <laughs> Early 2000s, that's where it's at. Put on that Nickelback CD, and let's watch Lord of the Rings, you know? <laughs>
0: Alright, yeah, I'm trying... I'm not going through I'm mutant and blocking... We'll see if they actually do any have any serious threats here in a little bit. <laughs> let's see if they get even more angrier. Okay, so um, what else should we talk about? Um, let's talk about the end. Like, let's talk about the the final fight scene between uh, Aragon and that one big big orc.
1: The big orc. Yeah. I don't remember saying same. Let's talk so. about two scenes before that. The the breed oh. the the scene where they're making the orcs or the urukai. That's interesting. Okay. That's really cool. Um, just from a makeup standpoint and like the choice mm-hmm. to do it, you know, Peter Jackson was like, let's make this a horror scene, you know? Um, and then there's a conversation that uh, Saruman has with the, the big orc, the bigger urukai, And he's like, they, you were once elves. And they're like, okay, that's interesting. I, that's a, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but um, by like that line of dialogue. Uh, and so by that point where, when they're actually c- confronting the fellowship, you know, it's like yeah, they're pretty scary. Like that's uh, they're big orcs, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: I should mention uh, there was a. I don't know if you guys remember. know John Borman from the set, from the Excalibur, um, okay. Zardoz, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So he was going to do a Lord of the Rings movie. And one of the most interesting details I found out about his Lord of the Rings movie was, in order for Gimli to figure out what the password was. Uh, they were gonna have Gimli like buried in mud and then rebirth him like the way they do the orcs, just so he would have like a memory of what the password was to get into the to Moria. Hmm. That was like in his script. Uh, also, Frodo and Arwen would have a sex scene. Oh yeah, there's there's a I, I there's a
1: rendition a rendition where the Beatles played the the hobbits I think or. Something involving that, the, yeah,
0: that was originally also going to happen too, but that fell apart. Uh, I mean, there's other That's things. A weird... Oh, yeah. yeah, the hit, the development history for this this entire franchise from the 60s is in 70s is incredible, and it's even funnier that Ralph Bakshi was the one that actually got his Lord of the Rings movie made,
2: yeah.
0: Uh, given like the pedigree of that director, um uh so and then and then one more scene i would like to talk about is so when they get to the shores and frodo like after he like confronts boromir boromir fails the test uh aragorn aragorn uh comes up to him and he's like hey man what's going on why are you leaving us and and of course frodo goes into the spill about the ring Take it, and then I love that. Or Aragorn just like he f- puts it back, like he just hides it away. And then Aragorn goes, "I would have went with you to the end. I would have went with you to Mordor." It's
1: a great right one. one. Yeah, oh, my god.
0: Again, Aragorn is such a great character. Like fuck. Hm. Like damn. Like this guy has been through so much. He's been guilted by generations. Like he's a like he is the epitome of like a person of royalty who's been guilted by the wrong decisions that his ancestors has made like god
1: he's super god. old too
0: oh yeah he's 87 um, years old
1: yeah so it makes him wiser than a lot of his uh, contemporary uh, you know royal family members <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, mm-hmm. rohan and all the other places
0: yeah i mean well yeah, and also, it's, and also this goes to, like, why Viggo Mortensen was casted, is that he pulls rugged very well. Yeah. Like, once you, like, get him in costume, and with the long hair, and everything, I mean, the dude looks like he's seen every war, any war. Like, he's seen it all. Like, he isn't, that's what makes him so, like, worthy of being the king later on in this, in this trilogy uh yeah no it's fantastic um what are some other things to talk about uh what about the
2: score does anyone want to talk um, about the score for sure yeah incredible um while we, one thing about like i guess the score in particular mm-hmm. while we were kind of talking about like kind of the threat of the urukai like i i love um what Howard Shore's kind of, his little motif for the urukai when it's like dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, like, that kind of drumming, and as they're running, like, so quickly, like, and, it, and I think that kind of visual of them running kind of, like, uh, kind of like un inhumanely fast like they're like they have such speed to them and they're so large and like robust and like kind of the the music behind it kind of it has the same effect as like the imperial march in a way where it kind of like gives it this like kind of bravado and so like that that sequence when they're they're running through the forest and you got the the whole little um uh, motif underneath like it is it like it, it builds them up to be this menacing threat so when they finally get to there and they end up like kind of ambushing them and they end up fighting them off and then the fellowship gets split up and then they they steal two of the hobbits and they kill Boromir like it, it they it feels like they lived up to this um the setup of them being these great this great threat.
1: Yeah, and the Shire music—it's very um, whimsical and happy-go-lucky. Um, very good choice for that. Um, contrasts very well with that that music. Um, and just the main score is excellent too. The what the—it's not really like epic in the same way that Star Wars is when Star Wars opens every time. It's more of it, it eases you into the music kind of. It starts off kind of slow, um, and it, it does get epic. But it's a very—it's kind of like the journey itself. It, you know, they start off. Um, starts off easy and it gets you know gets more um epic you
0: know yeah in, in in to your point about the music in the beginning i mean it's just it's the ring theme every time we open each of these movies it's the theme of the ring you know the the tragedy yeah, the, the, the the pathos yeah. the everything like everything that's attached to the ring it is every time we see the ring there's the motif of the ring and it opens the movie every time because it is zaron is the lord of the rings
1: i guess that's the equivalent of the star wars opening of the title and but in lord of the rings though it's almost sad
2: music in a way it's very it has this kind of like sinister nature to it it's like kind of in tra- tragedy yeah this melancholy that's thing. why i would describe um, it. Yeah. yeah yeah that's a that's a great way to describe um, it
1: so star wars like here we go we're gonna have some fun and then start lord of the rings is like we're gonna have fun but this is kind of a story that's more you know has sad elements to it. it's like uh you know that's that's yeah that's interesting
0: yeah it's tragedy there's pathos there's sinister edge um but also, I mean, but then you get to the title cards of like the Fellowship or the Two Towers, and each one is very emblematic of what each one is.
1: Yeah. So this one actually the extended edition changes when that title shows up because I've always liked the theatrical uh, Fellowship showing up next to Frodo in the Shire. And then in the Extended Edition, they change it up, which is a small thing, it doesn't matter. But. I
2: noticed that because this is the first time I'd ever seen the Extended, and I was like, wait, yeah. what? I, I don't remember. This I love that show of Frodo.
1: And I was like, you know, it really should be there still, but it's not even a really complaint. It isn't, it, you know,
2: a small thing. but Yeah,
0: you know. just a mild complaint.
2: And um, then w- while we're talking about the music, like, in addition to Howard Shore, like, I just want to credit Inya. Mm-hmm at least that's how uh she's credited on the uh on the score like on Spotify um so I I, forgive me if I mispronounced her name uh but like her her like ethereal voice like kind of that comes here and there for a lot of the like kind of elvish stuff like it's kind of incorporate she's incorporated with um the Rivendell motifs and then like um, when the fellowship is breaking her the the is it dreams or hold on let me get the, the song title I know really the most quick. popular
1: song at the time was who can say uh I don't know if that's the one that she sang for the movie though I think it was a different one
2: it's the um in dreams in dreams that's what it is yeah. that that song like is so has this like like it it really captures that like bittersweetness of the fact that they're splintering and kind of like the the whole tragedy of it all and like it's just like the perfect song for that moment
0: yeah it's it is and then what's so great is it's you get to the end of that movie of fellowship And you see, like, you know, we say goodbye to Boromir. We've pushed him over a river um, with his sword. We see the two hobbits. They're walking up a hill. We have two hobbits missing. And then we have Eric Aragorn. Aragorn, Excuse me. I keep calling him Aragorn. It's Aragorn. Excuse me. Aragorn, uh, Legolas, and Gimli. They're both like, so is the fellowship over? Is our mission over? Do we just go home? He's like, no, we're not, we got to go catch Merry and Pippin. They're we we're not gonna let them torture and be tortured to death. So they're on their journey, and then you get this cool, epic shot, wide shot of of uh, uh, Sam and uh, Frodo, and Frodo's just happy that Sam's with them. Also, that pre- the scene before, like Frodo almost letting Sam drown. Uh, like that is so heartbreaking like damn sam you do not have to go that like whatever like gandalf said to sam to make sure he would stay with frodo like damn that really stuck like frodo will or sam will not leave (laughs) sam will not leave frodo without a fucking fight um
1: God. yeah it is aragorn with an r because aragon is that that sad spinoff of the book series that was it's,
2: written a- it's the after other 2000s um, yeah. fantasy epic based on a, a best-selling novel the one so we don't, don't talk about anymore the um, <laughs> yeah the books right. are so good though it's it's a tragedy what happened um supposedly there's going to be a disney plus series now so hopefully that turns out okay (laughs) Uh,
0: hooray so but one can't simply just walk into mordor so with that um i think but no but really i mean the journey for frodo and sam they it will just not be easy for them like and that's how we leave the story i mean so correct me if i'm wrong is there another golem like do they ever cut back to golem at all after the moria stuff or is it just Um, just hard cut to them walking into mordor
1: we were discussing that i I think there's just those two shots of golem being captured and then his eyes through in the moria i i may be missing one um but i think it's just those two
2: yeah
0: okay um but yeah um so brandon um just really quickly um what do you like about the rest of the trilogy
1: are we gonna do review the other two movies or are we just uh
0: because there's so much
1: to say about the other two movies or you know
0: oh yeah we we're this is going to be a real thing we're just discussing the series all the way through i forgot
1: yeah yeah Um, i would say the Two Towers and Return of the King are both great. Uh, there's something special about Helm's Deep that makes me probably prefer Two Towers over Return of the King. But Return of the King has some great moments, though. Um, and I'll defend its ending, its long, you know, drawn-out ending. Um, and, yeah, I watch the extended editions every time I rewatch these because even though they're long, I just say we can decide, you know. Um, I do it every once every two years usually at this point, um, which is quite often, seems like, but, you know. They're some of the great, greatest movies of all time, so. Um,
0: but yeah, so, yeah. And then for David, like, what are you looking forward? I guess not for you. What are you looking forward to in the next two podcasts?
2: Like, um, well, kind of going on this journey of seeing the extended editions for the first time. I'm kind of curious to see, catch more of the, the differences um that's I guess what I'm looking forward to <laughs> and then of course it's always a pleasure to like rewatch these movies they're they're wonderful as we've uh, attested to many times already
0: yeah no it's it's fun to watch these movies I can't believe that I've not done this yet like and to be fair the podcast started right after the Hobbit trilogy ended like we started this in 2015 so there was not like me thinking there was not a moment where i was thinking oh yeah we should totally do the lord of the rings uh while the hobbit trilogy is going so and also after the hobbit trilogy i kind of felt burnt
1: oh but kale you can't just do a lord of the rings podcast it's awesome you know one does not simply just
0: <laughs> oh, oh god wait, wait a minute oh my this god brandon I, I, they're they're, called, they're coming after us they're coming after us again um coming after us Where, what is these orc sounds like they're <laughs> the oh my god oh my hey, brandon you're shot you're shot oh my god what the oh my god they are trying to kill you like what is happening like they people oh my, oh, brandon, no. oh my god they're taking him. Oh my god. With arrows. They're monsters. You bastards. You killed Brandon. No. No. Okay. Oh my god. No. David, what the fuck just happened? They killed Brandon. What the fuck? They monsters. We have to keep running. We have to like keep walking. To, um, we have to keep we have to find the source of it all we have to keep what, 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 where, would we, where would we begin to find the source of this evil we're, we're
2: gonna have to, have to our, what? we're gonna have to journey into twitter
0: oh gosh no
2: the toxic wastelands we have to travel the tr- to we're gonna have to go we're gonna have to go to the trending topics <laughs> we're gonna have to go to mount trending
0: uh <laughs> All right. So, in order to avenge Brandon now, um we're going to have to go to Mount Trending in Twitter. This evil location. We have to find the source. We have to figure out why where did these orcs? Who are these orcs? Um who are these people that killed Brandon? Oh my god. We were supposed to so, Bra- Ty- David, we're supposed to bring on other hosts for the rest of the show. Should we even do that? Like we don't want them all dying in each episode. That's a very bad liability for the podcast. <laughs> um I guess um I'll draw up some contracts for next week um when we have our new guest, which will be a surprise. Um but yeah, um, so as we finish out here, David, uh what um what else is there to say on fellowship? We gotta keep going.
2: Um, we were kind of touching you were touching on the scene with like Sam and Frodo. I love like the, the, the shot of his, of them, of his grabbing Sam, like kind of just their arms kind of embracing as he kind of pulls him out. Like that, that shot alone, like I think kind of like, kind of sets up this um, kind of bookending in a sense of, of the trilogy for when eventually Sam. Kind of helps. He he's kind of this steadfast, like loyal presence for Frodo, and kind of for him to like in the end in, in uh, Return of the King for when he helps him get to the uh, Mount Doom and throwing the ring in. Like kind of the way that those moments kind of parallel each other, and like kind of it's like the reversal of one another.
0: Or when we get that reverse shot in Return of the King and he pulls Frodo out of, of the fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, like oh that is a good eye that's a good eye david um oh that's great um and yeah and also what i love about sam's inclusion in this journey is that a because there's this whole thing that kind of was very present in the early 2000s where the hero had to be on his own he's got to be dark and wait did you just have a mind
2: what? yes Sorry. like in addition to what i just said so one he's pulling him out of water and the other one he's pulling him out of fire so right, it's like yeah. a, it's a reversal in terms of like the environment like um and kind of the setting and like kind of the the roles are reversed and like oh, it's perfect
0: i know right yeah i know we'll get to and 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 we'll talk a a little bit more about that in a couple weeks but uh but no like what i love about frodo and sam or sam joining frodo on this journey is that it goes against everything that was going on in the mood of the 2000s like you know how spider-man ends with like it's my journey it's my curse i can only do this alone there's so many like little superhero there's like a superhero and also hero motifs where the hero has to be alone because they're cursed or whatever and frodo throughout this whole movie feels like he's cursed but then when he pulls sam out of the water it's this moment of realization for frodo that he's not alone like he has this this figure from the shire this this what, what represents everything good and great about the shire like it's going to accompany with him on this long and awful journey towards mordor and you know and i just love that the movie just like even getting ahead of the curve like no the hero's journey is not one where you do it by yourself you have to do it with others and it's great to have a friend going to hell with you um <laughs> so with that that's what i and that's what i love about the end of fellowship so much especially just sam i mean just crying because i mean he can't leave frodo like mm-hmm. he just can't like, and it's so sweet and beautiful um yeah and i just i even like like what everyone just changes like that's that's the best part about this like this is a cliffhanger but it's not like oh, we're just going to catch back with everybody in a year. No, there's an actual end point. These characters change. Um, we'll check back in with Gandalf later when he gets done battling Balrog. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll check back in. Poor Boromir, Sean Bean, thank you so much for always dying in your movies. You know, you do it very well. You're like an expert at this point. You and Willem Defoe um do very good job at dying um and yeah this movie became a huge hit uh making like 900 million worldwide or close to it and got the most like broke records of how many oscars it got nominated so it had a dune part one situation and it was huge Like it became the cultural phenomenon and then uh Two Towers would continue the same and then we'll get to Return of the King and all of its Oscar glory and in, and in, in, in we'll, and I'll pose the question to you David but we won't answer it until Return of the King and I want you to think about this in the next couple of weeks does Return of the King earn its best like all of its wins in 2004 at the Oscars you don't have to answer it now but just keep stewing on that for the next two weeks okay um and and i'll be thinking about it as well especially since i'll kind of look and see like what was some of the contenders and what was some of the runner-ups of that year um but yeah david is there any more to say on fellowship
2: there's always more to say on these movies um but I'm uh, I'm kind of honestly getting a little tired, and
0: um, me too. We've
2: kind of said we've we've spoken our piece. These are wonderful movies, uh, Fellowship especially. Um, I can't wait to watch these other two in this new way uh, with the with the extended editions, which I've always kind of meant to watch, but I just never like kind of pushed myself to do it. And so it's nice to kind of have this as like a motivator to get through them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'll leave it. I feel like there's there was probably more things we could have touched on, but like there's so many tales to talk about in these movies. And uh, we're we're going to be talking a lot of Lord of the Rings in the coming weeks.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and I know we've kind of skipped over Merry and Pippin, but I'm... Purposefully saving them because they have basically their own subplot in Two Towers.
2: I've always had trouble when I'm watching the movies, kind of discerning which one is Mary, which one's Tippin. And this one, this time, like I tried so hard while I was watching to like track which one was which, like, and I was like finally figured out, like, I was like, okay, Dominic Monaghan is Mary, I think. Yeah. And so that's that's finally how I was able to like okay I'm going to look more closely at their faces cuz they look so similar like like they're really like like Frodo and Sam are very easy. like I mean they have the they're easy to tell apart in terms of like the actors don't look too similar they have different hair colors they they have a different kind of physique even though they're both hobbits um, whereas Mary and Pippin, like, they've always been so indistinguishable for me. And so, like, this time when I was watching it, I tried so hard to, and I think I finally might have figured it out by, like, kind of the Donate- Dominic Monahan of it all helped me. Like, now that I have his face burned into my memory, saying, uh, talking about Stark secrets and things only the Sith knew, um, but uh, that, that, I think that was it, that, I finally got it down.
0: Yeah, it. Yeah, I can see because I mean I keep forgetting that one of them is named Mary. So like that's that's been my thing. (laughs) I keep forgetting Sam, Frodo, Pippin. What's the other one? Because it is like you know. Come on, can we combine the two characters at least? I mean, but. As the, as the trilogy goes on, like Mary and Pippin, they have their own kind of thing going, and it's sweet and mm-hmm. wonderful. And we'll, and I promise we'll talk more about Mary and Pippin. That, that will be our number. Well, it'll be one of our priorities uh, is to talk about Mary and Pippin because they are good characters, and we kind of did just skip over them. But uh, but yeah, we'll get to them later. Um, and with that, uh, David, where can the good people find you?
2: Uh, you can find me in the, the, the depths of Twitter, uh, at Weiser underscore David. And then, uh, I have a blog called film assessment. I have not written about the Lord of the Rings movies, but I'm considering like, I'm going on kind of this journey of like watching the extended editions. Uh, I actually, I think I, I don't know if I actually published it or not, but I know I had drafted, um when I went to, when I watched them in IMAX last year, I know I had at least drafted reviews for them, but I may not have finished or published them. But maybe since I'm watching the extended editions, I may write about them. Um, I might like kind of wait and just kind of do one for like the whole trilogy. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll something will come out of this um, where I'll have something new on my blog. Um, it's just the free time is so sparse now, but uh, my blog's called Film Assessment. You can check it out. Um, there are handles for social handles for that or Film Assessment. And yeah, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, nice talking about Middle Earth.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kale. And as a final note for this podcast, as a final, final note, we will not be talking about The Hobbits. We will not be talking about the Hobbit trilogy. We will not be talking about that. No, 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 no. As Bilbo would say, no, 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 no. And that's the final, that's the final word on it. That's going to be our final word. And David's smiling, but you know, that's the final word. So no, 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 no. But again, thank you guys uh, listening so much. Uh, we will do this every week. We do have a September episode plan where we are gonna review The Woman King, Don't Worry, Darling and maybe one or two other movies from September. But for now, uh, this is basically kind of our main uh, this is our main series. We're just gonna do these. We're having fun. We hope you guys are having fun watching the Rings of Power if you are watching that show. Uh, I have not started on it. Um, I think, David, you've seen some of it.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm up to date on it. As of okay. this morning, I caught up. Okay. <laughs> cool. No, I, last night, sorry. I think because this morning I watched Andor. Or, I don't know. Yesterday I caught up with this.
0: You're caught up. But yeah, so <clears throat> thank you so much. Let us know. Um, don't be a real troll. Don't be a real troll or orc. Like, don't harass people. Don't harass people for loving Avatar. That's rude. So rude. Um, Or anything. Don't harass people. Uh, Thank you all so much. Have a good night.
2: The enemy is a gift. Let us use it against him. You cannot wield it. None of us can. The ring must be destroyed. It was made
1: in the fires of Mount Doom. Only there can it be unmade.
0: I know what I must do, but I'm afraid to do it.
1: One does not simply walk into Mordor.
0: There is no other way.